America. My name is Ahmed Yosef from Pong. I come to you every Thursday about this time. And let me just tell you that Katie Kirk's memoir just came out. It's kind of a tell-all. And in Katie Kirk's memoir, she talks about an interview she gave with Ruth Bader Ginsburg, also known as RBG or whatever. And in this interview, I'll just read a quote. Um, Katie Kirk says, well, she kind of protected what was eventually released a part of the interview because in the interview, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said of Colin Kaepernick, Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, not standing for the anthem shows, quote, quote, this is a quote, this is all video, contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life, which they probably could not have lived in places they came from. As they become older, mind you, she's talking about uh, Colin Kaepernick, a grown man. They realize that this was youthful folly. And that's why education is important, Ginsburg told Kirk at the time. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock up a person for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. Uh, and the act was kneeling for the uh, not standing for the anthem, right? How ridiculous it is for Kaepernick to do such an act, right? So this is a world where this is a world where she opposes the United States not to what it ought to be. <clears throat> There's no pretense of racial justice for black people, but what it could be relative to uh, abject degradation in failed states, which I just assume she presumes um, that black people would be in without, you know, the influence of you know, Western colonialism, right? So there's a lot going on there. First, I want to just unpack that, right? So whether if you oppose the United States as it stands to a failed state versus the United States as it stands to actually securing justice for America, uh, for all of its citizens, that's already going to be a, a juxtaposition. That's already going to qualitatively affect how you interpret the facts of black degradation and racial and labor justice, right? So if your idea of America is, oppo is as opposed to a manifestly failed state or your idea of America is as opposed to what America actually says it's supposed to be, and tells us it's supposed to be, and tells us it is, um, then that colors whether you actually think black people should just be grateful. They should be grateful slaves. You know, a lot of masters just you know, don't understand why so, so many Negroes were, um, were ungrateful for what America has, has given them in their, in their relative degradation to like, you know, knuckled under white supremacy, right? So there's this idea that Ginsburg, like most elitists have, and all the Ginsburg followers do, um, that if you screw up in America, it's because you didn't study hard enough or you didn't kiss the right butt, and that's all your fault. You should have um, tried harder to kiss the butt of your white teachers. Or um, I like the studied harder in school, and then you too could be like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, papering over the fact of black degradation, racialized degradation. Because that's black people's problem right now. Black people are punished because they're black. <laughs> like black people are punished because they're black. Now some black people can overcome that punishment usually by showing themselves to be the kind of black person who will punish other black people because they're black. But right now, 
black people are punished because they inherit legacy blackness. And the only way to get over is to show that you don't care about um, doing justice by other black people. That's the way Obama got over. Remember, Obama made his bones in 2006 and 2004 when he said, there is no black America, there is no white America, there's just the United States of America. Except when you look at actual like wealth data, <laughs> like this shows, or like this is prison data right now, this shows that there is a black America and a white America, not just the United States of America. That says that there is a black America and a white America. There's not, that's not an even line, right? So, um, yeah. So this idea that there is no black America, and then you look at wealth numbers, it's even more staggering, right? So this idea that there is no black America, there's no white America, just a United States of America, that is the story you need to tell people if you want to get on. Doesn't matter how smart you are. Doesn't like you could actually be dumb. As long as you're willing to parrot that line, you could go very far. You'll end up punishing directly and indirectly a lot of black people. But if you're willing to parrot that line, you will go very far in these United States. That's pretty much the job requirement that's not on the job requirement. <laughs> you have to pretend that black people uh, deserve their manifestly degraded conditions as a people. Some black people are doing all right. You always have to say like, well, you know, some are middle class. Yeah, you're only middle class because you think, because <laughs> you don't know what real white money is. But um, black people as a community are not doing very well. And they aren't doing well because of the United States. It's not some internal failure. The United States moved its failure to do justice to black people. And instead of making that an American problem, a United States problem, they made it a black problem and gave everyone else a holiday from America's problem with what to do with the Negroes now that, we, now that they're free, but we don't want to actually empower them in civil society and politically civilly or, um, or uh, you know, uphold their families, right? So we don't want to actually give them power, but um, they're technically free and that's how we get the current degradation of black America and how the Supreme Court's complicit in it, right? And we should ignore that, conceal that, ignore the fact that America has not done justice to black people, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg herself didn't do justice to black people. Um, and because in like structurally in her office, she didn't do it insofar as she was never advocating for like, you know, the Supreme Court to retry criminal cases and like take up criminal appeals. It was only civil and it doesn't have to be civil. It was just the court's decision not to push for, um, you know, taking on criminal appeals. And then also Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't hire black clerks. Well, I'm gonna talk about that after the beat. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, decades long career, was allergic to hiring black clerks. Would be something if she wasn't an appellate judge in Washington DC, right next to Howard University. So it's not like you couldn't find black clerks. Or as a Supreme Court justice, eventually in 93, uh, she, you know, hired over 100 people. And um, one of them apparently was black. One of them was black. And make no mistake, she was a Democrat. I think, I think since black people are disproportionately punished by the criminal justice system and the legal system, we should have had disproportionate hires uh, for reasons, like I said, I'll talk to talk about after the break. To the beach, yo. Uh, yeah. Sound good to 
with me. Never change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. Change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I'll paint the White House black and it can feature in your front. So, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she said, I'm going to do the quote again because it's so important, I think. Of Colin Kaepernick, not standing for the anthem shows contempt for a government that has made it possible. Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. Not standing for, uh, made a, for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life, which they probably could not have lived in the places they came from. As they become older, they meaning Kaepernick and his angry brood, uh, they realize that this was a youthful folly and that's why education is important, Ginsburg told Couric at the time. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. How ridiculous it is for black people to have a very complicated relationship with the United States of America. So if you come from a country that's worse than the United States of America and you find yourself in the United States of America and doing well, that might make sense to you. Now, if you come from the United States of America and are degraded because you come from the United States of America, as black people are, of, I know a lot of people say they come from Africa, but Africa is not a country. It's a continent. And I'd ask, like, what tribe are you from? And how do you identify with them? No, you're American. I'm American. My dad's from Ghana. My mom's from South Carolina. My dad's from Ghana. But I was born in Los Angeles. I'm American. If, if I got off the plane at Ghana, the first thing they would say to me is, what part of the U.S. are you from? <laughs> I probably wouldn't even have to open my mouth. Um, so... We're American, and America has done us wrong, and we should have a complicated relationship with the United States. We don't owe America anything. They owe us an apology with a check. I like my apologies in the form of cash or a check made out to cash. Also with institutional power and land and boards. So like, we need to talk about how America needs to do right by black people in America who are punished by the United States of America, not how grateful black people should be to this nation, right? This nation should be grateful to us for not slitting everyone's throat. Like I am impressed by the black people who do not carry violent malice towards kind of casual white Americans. Like I don't even hate the conservatives as much, but the liberals, I, I, they drive me a little bit nuts, right? So like I, since I'm not, particularly a violent person. I speak with my mouth and I speak the truth. And if you appreciate me speaking the truth, because nobody else is going to label, let's be honest, nobody, nobody's going to label a video F Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, but if you appreciate that I do it and then lay out the arguments, go over to www.funkyacademic.com and give me five, fifteen, dollars to $50 a month. One, I can market the channel a little bit better. And two, you know, depending on who you talk to, I'm making myself down white un unemployable because any of my whoever um, hires me is probably going to be like an RBG fan and be like, how could you be so anti-feminist as to hate on RGB? Because, well, she thinks we're children. She thinks, like, she thinks 
Kaepernick and anybody who doesn't hate the United States is a child. And I, I think Kaepernick has a legitimate gripe and every black person in the United States has a legitimate gripe about the nation that, uh, you know, that owes us. And instead of paying us, degrades us. And, and instead of honoring our redress, punishes us for talking about um, our degradation. So if you want more people talking about our degradation in, in plain terms, you need to actually support the people who talk about our degradation in plain terms, which I like to do. I did the last show on the history of, a brief history of, of male castration <laughs> and the arguments for male, black male castration uh, after the Civil War. Because it's funny, because you'll, you'll know this if you saw the video I did on Tuesday. Before the Civil War, nobody really talked, not really talked about black male rapists of white women. But would you believe after the Civil War, after we emancipated, that was all of the rage. Apparently, we were genetically disposed to rape white women. And the, the solution by the scientists, the experts on the body, was to castrate us. Melissa Stein has a very good book on it. And chapter four of her book, Measuring Manhood, is all about the scientific arguments for castrating black, black, black men. And so that was science, right? And um, all, the, all the political arguments for castrating black men. And so there's this idea that we should be grateful for, to the United States that either oversaw directly and does directly or tacitly allowed black people to be terrorized and still does still does most black people are scared most adult black people are scared of ticking off white people that's no way to be free white people are not scared of ticking off black people they have other fears they have capital and access to the police so they're not really scared of ticking off black people black most black people not most black people with any sort of means are scared of ticking off white biases. That's why you won't get other people who label, who like have an entire video on F Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Whereas I will because she deserves it. She deserves it. She's someone in a lot of power. People say, why was Ruth Bader Ginsburg such friends with Scalia? Well, it must be so few people of their intellect that, that they could only find each other. No, it's because they're both elitist jerks, both elitist racist jerks, right? They have a lot in common, except one was old and Jewish, the other one was old and Catholic. But they have a lot in common because they're both elitist, racist jerks, much like the women who follow uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the men who follow Antonin Scalia, elitist, racist jerks, right? They think, well, you know, black people just need to, 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 to work a little harder. Then they would have had the same inheritance I got from my grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> Although you can see that that's, that's just not going to be true, right? So an inheritance isn't really just material. It's also cultural. Like the fact that so many black people were grown up in instability, in, in instability is directly the result of the United States um, policy, right? So you have this law, Negro women to be put to work so that white women wouldn't have to work even inside of their homes. So not only were uh, black women put to work uh, in, 18, in 1918, this is because the, um, the husbands were fighting off in World War I, and so they were getting pensions, so the black women wanted to actually go home and be with their own kids and didn't want to work for Miss Anne. 
And so Miss Ann started freaking out about having to clean her own whatever and called her husband and called this commissioner and said, you need to, I need my maid back. And so Negro women were put to work. So what it was to be a black woman was not what it was to be a white woman. Black women have always worked and worked hard. And, you know, they should honor that. But what that means is, for example, my mom worked either 11 to 7 or uh, either 11 to 7 or 3 to 11 as a nurse. But, you know, she wasn't home. So that's a cultural, that's a cultural problem insofar as um, uh, kind of a cultural investment that, you know, I didn't quite get. Would have been would have been nice to have a parent home. Parents were also divorced uh, during those times when I got home from school. But, you know, I figured it out. Now I'm here trying to do what you do. But you have to understand that what it means, like, like not just the material inheritance, but also the cultural inheritance that America has robbed of black people by not taking the conditions of our freedom seriously. We were freed nominally, but not taken, like, and in, in a capitalist economy that's, like, violently carceral, you can be free nominally, but you're a walking liability because you could always be put in jail, or you always have to, um, you, you always have to work in conditions that you don't have a say over in order to eat, right? So you're free nominally, but you're still functionally a slave, and that's that was the situation of black people, right? I don't know if Ruth Bader Ginsburg's parents worked, uh, mom worked, um, or if she was home to help Ruth Bader Ginsburg with her homework. Right? So you have to ask these questions, not just about, about the material inheritance the United States owes black people, but the cultural inheritance that we're robbed because all of our, you know, community has always been doing the work that white people didn't want to do, the times that white people didn't want to do it, right? So that kind of cultural inheritance that we've lost, and I think the United States owes us. I like, like I said, I like my apologies in the form of cash or land, or um, other durable goods. Um, but I mean, right now I'll take my your thanks in the www.funkyacademic.com monthly subscription. But let's talk a little bit about her inability to hire black clerks, clerks, right? So when she died, there was a, a beautiful article about one of um, Ginsburg's lasting legacies was the clerks. They began their tenures as young, inexperienced lawyers and emerged with unparalleled legal credentials that will mark their resumes for a lifetime. Supreme Court clerk. You know who, none of, who only one out of over 150 hires, uh, only one was black. Only one, a single clerk. And I bet you some black lady who said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, very well. And um, <laughs> watch her only clerk was like uh, like some sort of Robin Givens equivalent. Um, yeah, that's not fair. All right, so although if I was the only black clerk, I bet the only black clerk is so rich right now working for some corporation that doesn't even matter. But I would be tempted to write a book. I would be tempted to write a book on being like the one and only Ruth Bader, black Ruth Bader Ginsburg clerk. You could talk about why you think she picked you and not like the rest of the Negroes. Um, and that would, that would actually be uh, fascinating, I think. But I bet you the one black Ruth Bader Ginsburg clerk is a huge sellout anyway. So, um, What does it mean that she only hired one black clerk? Well, since we're disproportionately punished by the U.S. Uh, penal system, it, 
I think we should have disproportionate representation in like where these are worked out, where these laws are worked out and appeals are worked out. And there's a guy by the name of William Coleman who was Felix Frankfurter's clerk. And Coleman is a black dude who helped out the NAACP in the Brown versus Board of Education legal strategy because he had been a black clerk, right? So you create a critical mass of black clerks, you get good black judicial prudence, uh, good uh, racial judicial prudence in the United States, but also you get a fantastic critique of judicial prudence, right? So it's not an accident that Derrick Bell, the, the one of the progenitors, I think the main progenitor of critical race theory, was a black law professor at Harvard because he was in the belly of the beast. And so you can't tell him, well, you don't know. It's actually more um, uh, complicated than you think to. Like, no, he was at Harvard, Harvard at NYU. He knows exactly what's going on, and that's why he was able to critique it so effectively. So you create a critical mass of black Supreme Court clerks, you will have a clearer understanding about how the judicial system is fundamentally opposed to securing black people, you know, dignity and freedom from racial subordination, right? But in the absence of a critical mass of su black Supreme Court clerks, you are always liable to the argument that like, well, you don't, it's very complicated. You don't know how it works. You know, they have to make harder decisions. It's not that they're racist, it's blah, 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 blah. It's not that they're scared or not that they're indifferent to standing black degradation or the hookworms you got in Alabama or they don't, uh, or your labor rights. No, once you're in it, you'll see that it's exactly all of those things. It's exactly all of those things that the judges are awful people with huge class and racial interests securing their own class and racial interests. And those are opposed to black people. So let's talk one more time about um, the Ginsburg quote, because I, I find it fascinating that we're compared to children. You know, up until, I want to say 1978, the Mormon um, church considered black people children. We were never actually, uh, you know, adults in the eyes of God, blah, 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 blah. And we were just children. And that's, and, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg also thought we were just children for maybe having complicated ideas about the United States of America. And we're damned to it. But don't pretend that you could just go anywhere as a, as a United States person and be, um, and be made whole. You can't do that, right? So if I go over to Edinburgh or London or someplace else, even if they speak English, I can't, I can't fight the way I can fight as I'm here, because I lose legitimacy as someone who's not from there. I don't really get it. But here, we have legitimacy, and we should be seen as legitimate, like, epistemological vectors. Like, we, our testimony actually matters about what America is. And Colin Kaepernick should not, as a grown man who actually has complicated ideas about what America means, much like fucking Douglas had complicated ideas about what America means versus what it says it means, he has a claim and a right to actually kneel. And instead of respecting that, you call him a child. And you say that black people should be grateful with the assumption that wherever we're coming from is, is, would be worse. And it's not worse because the United States made it worse or colonialism made it worse. It's worse just because, I don't know, we came from there. Right? So have a, I've, I have problems with Ruth Bader Ginsburg and... Um, she said, and, and remember, this is from an interview with Katie Couric. Katie Couric said she, she buried it. She buried the interview 
because she didn't want to, uh, you know, make Ruth Bader Ginsburg look bad. And there's this idea that, that white women aren't burying bodies all over for each other all the time, but they are. They're just as awful as white guys. Anyone who tells you anything different just doesn't know how this works. All right, so not standing for the anthem shows a contempt for a government that has made it possible for their parents and grandparents to live a decent life, which they probably could not have lived in the place that they came from. As they became older, they realized that this was youthful folly, and that's why education is important, Ginsburg told Couric at the time. I think it's a terrible thing to do, but I wouldn't lock a person up for doing it. I would point out how ridiculous it seems to me to do such an act. It's actually not ridiculous. It's not, it's not an act that you would do necessarily, maybe, but to call it ridiculous shows either your ignorance, and it's not willful, either your ignorance or your just disdain for black people and their struggle. So Ruth Bader Ginsburg has a disdain for black people and their struggle, and I have a disdain for, black, for Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? And I think she, and that's an effective disdain because her hiring record shows it, shows it. And she was even called on this in 1993. Orrin Hatch said, like, you don't, you've hired, made 57 hires, and not one of them has been black. This is when she was just a federal uh, appellate judge. And this is Orrin Hatch from Utah, not a state known for their friendliness to the Negroes. And Ruth Bader Ginsburg said, well, I don't know why they don't like me. You can Google this. This is all true. Just Google Orrin Hatch and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, 1993. The whole transcript will, will come up. And I, I don't know why they don't like me. You don't pick them. <laughs> like You are a federal appellate, um, appellate judge in D.C. next to Howard Law School. You could find a Negro to work for you if you wanted one. You don't pick one. You're a Supreme Court justice. You only hired one out of the next 120 or so um, hires. That means you don't want to find a black one. You don't think it's your job. You don't think it's your job to comb um, the United States for a Negro lawyer to, uh, to help you write your, your, your briefs. Like, I, like that's, and give that person something on their resume that nobody else could have. You get a critical mass of people who used to be Supreme Courts, of black people who used to be Supreme Court uh, clerks, you will have a good discussion about the role of the judiciary in securing our degradation or our, you know, the promise of our campaign for freedom and self-determination. Right? In the absence of that critical mass of former clerks and judges, you're not going to have the conversation right? at the national level because it's the Supreme Court, right? So um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't hire us. She didn't fight for us on the bench. And she doesn't fight for our right to fight for ourselves. It doesn't like the way we fight for ourselves. So you know what? Screw you. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Thank you for your time. Again, if you support what I do, go over to www.funkyacademic.com. And not just because it's about us, but because this is a matter of justice. This isn't special pleading. This, isn't a, like, this is America's problem. This is America's problem, not a black problem. This idea that what to do about the blacks is a black problem is part of America's dereliction of duty to do justice by all, to all of its citizens and secure the blessings of liberty, liberty you know, to everyone. Because if you don't have freedom in the United States, if you don't have self-determination, that means you're determined by the people who do have self-determination. You're some man's pawn. 
And that's a problem. I'm, I'm tired of watching black people do some man's pot. I'm tired of grown black people making themselves small because they don't want to tick off Miss Ann or make her uncomfortable. And that's why I do this show. Because I think the behavior has to be modeled. And I like to think that on the show, I model the quality of courage that you're going to want, you want in everyday life. So thank you for your time. And I will see you next week when I talk about something completely different.